The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Woo, what a show we got. So many topics. My cup runneth over. My show notes are just exploding with informative, powerful topics and like silly, frivolous topics. And I know you guys love the silly, frivolous stuff more, so maybe we'll lean into that. We got a great guest coming up in the second segment. Acclaimed composer William Goldstein's joining us. You're a fan of the Fame TV series. You're a fan of Twilight Zone. Uh, If you're a fan of just amazing musical minds, you're going to want to stick around for the William Goldstein interview. That one's going to be an absolute blast. Let me go ahead and bring on our co-host because I want to talk to her about what we're going to expect from this interview because it's pretty mind-blowing. Katie Zaccardi joining us. Hey, Katie. Hello, hello, hello. First things first, how are you? I am concussed, but well. (laughs) Those two things don't go together. (laughs) Look. Don't get me wrong. I love that you're here. It is always a joy to see you. But what the <laughs> hell are you doing here with a concussion? Okay. I'm almost over it, I think. Basically, I hit my head on a Harry Potter under the stairs playroom type door frame, aka it was half my size. And I stood up full force into it as if it was like I was underneath it. And then I stood up and just smacked my head on it. And for two days, I was like basically gaslighting myself to be like, I'm fine. I'm not concussed. I'm fine. Like my head just hurts because I hit it. And then on like 30 hours in or 48 hours in, I was like, okay, I am concussed. And I went to the doctor and I was like, I'm concussed, right? And they were like, yeah, you're concussed. So (laughs) they're like, it's mild. At this point, I'm already 48 hours in. Usually you have symptoms for like five days a week. Um, And I felt fine. I just had like pressure in my head and I get migraines and this didn't even hurt. It didn't really hurt that bad. And it didn't feel like a migraine though. It felt different. Like it felt like my brain was swollen. So, um, it's gotten better today. I didn't really have any pain, but I do have to like be careful with screens and reading and stuff. So I've got my blue light blockers and probably dip out a little earlier. So I'm not overdoing it, but um yeah we're here. well thank god that what you're going to be doing for the next 30 to 60 minutes doesn't heavily involve screens if i close my eyes and just talk and you know why. <laughs> this is gonna be i know this is gonna happen where you're gonna be in the middle of a point and then you're just gonna like stop for like six seconds <laughs> and then just start talking again and you won't even know that you stopped okay it's not that bad but this, I will say this, the doctor was like, he said this on Monday for yesterday. He was like, tomorrow, just sit in a chair and drink tea and take a walk and like, don't work and whatever. And like, usually when someone says, oh, relax, you're like, watch a movie or like read a book. And you can't do any of that when you're concussed. And I was like, I am a failure at relaxing. <laughs> 
like <laughs> I don't know how to relax without like devices or like input. So it has been a challenge to like try to stay off devices. I mean, I'm still working a little bit because you know I can't cancel everything. But it's it has been a challenge, let me tell you. Oh yeah, because you'd be the worst concussion patient, Katie. You already yeah. you do like twelve different things in the music industry. <laughs> if you're not working with clients, you're writing something, you're podcasting, you're creating industry partnerships. You, if I were your concussion doctor, you would be endlessly frustrating to me. Yeah, and I'm honestly failing at it. I am not doing a good <laughs> job at rest at being concussed, but. You know what? I'm doing my best and I'm feeling almost all the way better. So <laughs> don't take medical advice from me, you guys, okay? <laughs> uh, I do have an interesting I, I want to talk to you about our guest here, Katie, because this guy's pretty neat. And as a musician, I kind of want to get your help with an aspect of his interview, okay? His name's William Goldstein, an acclaimed comp composer, one of these kind of, you know, savant genius kind of musicians where like at three years old, they just kind of looked at a piano and go, oh, I know how to instantly play this. That's him. Crazy. And one of the things that he does, and he, he travels the world doing this, is something called instant compositions, where basically he tells a crowd of people, give me three notes, any three notes, just pick three notes at random, and he'll take three notes, and then whatever those three notes are, even if they're not like you know, sonically related to each other, even if they don't harmonize well, even if they're in like w wacky, weird keys, he will instantly turn those three notes into a composition completely on the fly. He calls them instant compositions. That's awesome. And he, it is so awesome. I'm so jealous. And he is going to do a demonstration of his instant compositions during his interview tonight. So here's what I want to do, Katie. And you know what? Let's get producer Lauren in here, too, because I want the whole brain trust here. We're going to do this together. All right. Okay. He is our guest and I want him to feel welcome. I don't I want this to be a good, positive, safe space for him. That being said, I want to see if we can beat him on this. Aww. Okay. I want to I want to crush him into dust on this. All right. We have to pick three notes for this guy to do. And if you think I'm going to give him C, D, E, you got another thing coming. All right. I want to, I want to break this genius's spirit. So give it some thought now. Brainstorm. Like, give me the three wackiest notes. I want like major sevenths. I want a tritone in there. I want all black keys on the keyboard. Like, I want to mess this dude up. Viewers and listeners in the comments, if any of you who are like musically inclined at all, just throw us like three of like the most frustrating notes that you can think of. Like, let's make up like notes that don't exist. Like, like have him do like a J flat. <laughs> See what he can do with that. Um, oh like, you know, like, let's make this let's tough. See. Like, so let's give it some thought, like, you know, black keys, weird intervals. What can we do to give this guy a challenge? I feel like C sharp is like kind of a weird no, or D sharp is weird. Oh, yeah. D, D sharp yeah. is like not, I don't know. She gives weird, she's like, you know, back of the, back of the barrel, bottom of the barrel. <laughs> like, but it, don't we want him to come up with like the best possible song for us? Like, don't you no. want the most amazing no. sounding thing to be the <laughs> no. thing we could, like? I don't understand why we're trying to be the bad guys here. Because we want them to like visiting otherwise. us on the show. Like, <laughs> I want chaos. We want him to come back. 
But well, he's also like really famous and like super acclaimed. And I don't know if we're going to get him back a second uh, time. And so like one day when my grandchildren are saying to me, Grandpa, you had William Goldstein on Break the Business and he did one of his instant compositions. What three notes did you do? Oh, I did C, D, and E. And they'd be like, you suck, Grandpa. <laughs> it said, and it sounded amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like I can give you an instant composition in C, D, and E. That's not what we have yes, him here for. But See, even it, as I said that, Katie's like, you couldn't give us an instant composition. <laughs> you get but, get the hell out of here. Could you give us one as good as the one William Goldstein could give us? No, certainly. I'm just saying. Anyway, no. I'm going to find one here. I'm like, let's be nice, guys. Yeah, no, for sure, a C sharp is in there. Like, look. If I remember my music theory correctly, and I almost positive I don't, <laughs> um, with Same. each like like each key like gets like another like sharp or flat in like the black keys in there, right? Like C is the easiest; it's all white keys, okay. and then like G shows up, right? And then you get the you get the uh, the F flat, sorry, the F sharp. You get the F, F sharp. sharp. Yeah. Right, it's like F flat. It's been a long time, people. <laughs> AP Music Theory was twenty damn years ago. Give me a break. And, and then like D. Actually, do though is C sharp F flat. F flat, just to piss off. Yes, that's right. Yeah, C flat and F flat. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, he will. He will instantly hate us. Yeah. All right. Let's give that some thought. Anybody who is uh, in the comments, if you want to throw us some notes that you want thrown in there, let's see if we can uh, let's see if we can give this guy a ride. Although I'm sure whatever we give, we're not the first person to think of this, by the way. I'm sure like there's been a bunch of a-holes that go to his concerts and they're like, I right. bet if I give him a C sharp, he won't know what to do with it. And of course he knows what to do with it. And that's exactly what he's saying to himself. He's like, ha ha ha. They think they're so funny. So like, why are we playing into that? Yeah. Maybe maybe it goes the other way. Maybe he's been for like the last 20 years, he's been playing nothing but C sharps. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so he if we come those. at him with C, D, E, he might not know what to do with it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think we should just go C, like, C sharp, D. Oh. Oh, I like this. <laughs> just just a little, yeah, um, yeah. Just just a little like minor second intervals. C, C sharp, D sharp. Ooh. Okay. So the minor second to the major second, we got two black keys in there. You know what? I think Katie's onto something here. I think that's okay. the clubhouse leader. Somebody write that down. Not Katie. <laughs> she has a concussion. <laughs> I don't know we if I trust, trust her, her with brain. any like sharp objects right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we, we bring two sharps in, in there, it's just too much. That's right. Yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't need any more sharps in there. Uh, before we bring in uh, William Goldstein, and I really hope he shows up now because, God, if we've hyped him this much and then like he misses the interview because he forgets, I'm going to be crushed. Then you have to do it, Ryan. Yep, so. that's, that's what it's going to be. If, if William Goldstein does not show up, you're going to get Ryan to do we could, we could the instant do it. composition we could on his Katie. ukulele. She's got a guitar in the background. I'm just saying she like <laughs> instantly volunteers when you display the instrument. It's just, it's a rule. <laughs> if I have to do it, the instant composition is going to be C, D, and E, and it's going to sound an awful lot like Mary Had a Little Lamb, I'm just saying. <laughs> Copyright infringement. All right. Well, twinkle, speaking twinkle. of that, Katie... Um, let's, let's go ahead and talk about this. Cause when I, I pitched to you and Lauren, Hey, what stories do you want to talk about this week? 
you had uh, wanted to talk about a story that honestly we should have talked about last month and we just sort of forgot. But yeah, well, you our had guest a last child, week. So yeah, that that's kind right. of took precedent. Well, but it actually kind of came back on our mind because last yeah. week Mike Ryan Ruiz was on the show and he talked about the unofficial Bridgerton musical and how he's doing something similar with the big game musical that he's doing. And then you reminded me of all of that because you told me you wanted to talk about this copyright lawsuit because Netflix is actually suing Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear, the creator of the unofficial Bridgerton musical. Uh, and you saw an article about this, right? Tell us about it. Yeah, so... And by article, the truth is that it was all over TikTok before I read any type of article, let's be honest. <laughs> that's <laughs> no, what I reading did. is now. That's yeah. what reading is. I yeah. saw a TikTok. You said, you Somebody said, talked about it. I read somewhere or I or to seem smarter, but it's really just all from TikTok. Um, but I did read two articles in preparation of this. But essentially, wow. Marlon Bear, if you don't know about it, they composed a unofficial musical basically based on the Bridgerton series season one specifically. And I mean, they did this like a year and a half, two years ago was when they wrote it. Um, about a year ago, the album came out on Spotify and, you know, there was this impression. I think they even sort of said that Spotify or that Netflix who now owns the rights to Bridgerton gave them their blessing and was like cool with it and in support um, they have since in the year since then won a literal Grammy for it. And they did a couple performances. I think that they had two performances at the Kennedy center, but this last one seemed to be a for-profit performance that they just like put on, sold tickets to sold merch, did meet and greets like the whole shebang had not only themselves. So like on the soundtrack, it's really just only them um singing performing and whatnot but they like brought in actors and performers to like do the art they expanded on some of the songs like it was a big production they and brought in the whole national of- orchestra I, he- I heard oh yeah that's crazy yeah and then yeah. like they had like they they had like actors that people know like you know musical theater actors that are well known and um then you know of course as usual that goes all over tiktok And then shortly after we find out that Netflix is suing them and shutting it down. And there apparently, apparently there was talk about them getting a license for it. Like Netflix offered them a license or I don't know, told them they needed one, but they turned it down. We don't know why that would be the case. That's like kind of, you know, being speculated about, but essentially, uh, you know, I didn't get into the legalities of it because I'm not a lawyer, so I don't even know what that would mean if I try to read it. But I do know that net, it, what it seems like is Netflix and Shonda Rhimes, who you know runs the Bridgerton show on Netflix, like a bunch of people just came out just being like, they took it too far. They took it too far. And you know, I, I've got a lot of questions and thoughts about that too because it just seems so silly to me that it's like, oh, we let you have it when you were making videos on TikTok and we let you have it when you put it on Spotify because people were into it. But now that you're like doing performances that people want, you took it too far. Yeah. Um, I'll stop there. But <laughs> I really wanted to know your thoughts about it too, Ryan, like as a lawyer. Um, cause I have opinions, but they're not like based on real things. They're just based on opinions. So as a copyright lawyer, one of the 
things that I try to tell clients about in the copyright space and just try to generally advise people about is just because you have the right to exclude others from doing stuff with your work, which is basically the essence of what copyright is. It's saying I created this thing and there are certain things that I can do with this thing that nobody else can do with this thing unless I say you can do the thing. Right. Just because you have that right to exclude does not mean you have to exercise it indiscriminately in all situations, particularly when it involves devoted fans of your work. Yeah. Because there are many cases where franchises, whether it's superhero franchises or sci-fi franchises, anime, or many other different types of IP, are only as valuable as how happy the fans are. Mm -hmm. And there are many examples of franchises that have, rather than fought fan fiction and sued fan fiction, lean in to fan fiction. One of the best examples of this for about 50 years was Star Trek's attitude towards fan fiction, where Gene Roddenberry would put out public statements being like, yeah, make your like Star Trek fan fiction books. You know, we're, you know, do it, do whatever you want with it. It belongs to you all just as much to me because I know that this franchise is only as valuable as the fan base. And so if you feel like you are spiritual owners of this thing, that's going to make you all bigger fans. And then when we do actual official Star Trek things, you're going to be part of it. Now, Star Trek had an interesting situation, pretty similar to this Bridgerton one about, gosh, probably five to 10 years ago. Where for a long time, uh, as uh, YouTube and internet videos became popular, a lot of people started making their own Star Trek TV shows, like in their garages and stuff. Little one-episode, one-offs, super cheap, low-budget kind of things that you'd expect people to do. But eventually, these Star Trek fans, super devoted, got pretty good. And (laughs) some of the stuff that these fans were creating... It was getting harder and harder to distinguish the fan fiction from the stuff coming out of Paramount and CBS. Mm. And then it all came to a head in a matter similar to like the Bridgerton unofficial Bridgerton musical kids doing Kennedy Center. A group of Star Trek fans got so big with their project that they did a Kickstarter where they raised six figures of income for their fan-made TV series, got wow. like some former Star Trek people to work on it. I think they might even gotten a couple of the old Star Trek actors to be in it. And they wow. were selling Star Trek merchandise. And then all of a sudden, 50 years of encouraging fan fiction all ended. They went, no, 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 no. All right, knock this crap off right here. <laughs> like, There's a lot of yeah. money changing hands. And that's what happened to Netflix here, right? This was cute when it was a couple of TikTokers winning a Grammy and they're doing non-for-profit stuff. But once it became a huge public spectacle at the Kennedy Center, they're selling merchandise with the Bridgerton name on it and further compounding the fact that, and this is probably what really tipped the scales, Netflix is trying to do their own kind of live musical event thing around Bridgerton. And so now you're talking about these people being direct competitors. And that's when they felt compelled to bring down the hammer of copyright. So one kind of lesson to impart here, and this is something if I were advising Netflix and this, you know, hindsight is 2020, but what you have to do with these kind of active fan bases is encourage it on the front end, but set the guidelines on the front end. Don't let it get away from you. Tell your fans, we Mm -hmm. love this stuff. We encourage it, 
but here are some of the guidelines. Yeah. You know, you can only, you know, this, uh, this is your maximum budget. You're, you have to use, you can only use these elements. Um, you know, you have to put in disclaimer language saying that this is unofficial. Mm-hmm. You're, there are certain ways you can't use it. Make those guidelines flexible because you don't want to piss off your fans, but let them know on the front end where the guardrails are so that you don't, you know, so they don't run far away. And then you look like the big jerks that's suing your fan base. Right. 100%. I think Star Wars does that. I know we have the Fan Film Awards, and every year they actually have a big ceremony for all the fan films that people kind of create around it. They don't become canon, but yeah. exactly that. They kind of set a protocol for, like, we love the stuff you fans do. Uh, try to stick within this kind of stuff, and we'll uh, take a look at what you're doing. Yay, great, but don't cross that line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate because I feel like, I mean, you mentioned like the thing, the, the Bridgerton experience, that's like competition. And to me, that feels kind of like an excuse because like that event is not, uh, it's, I guess, musical because there's like a dance party for like 20 minutes or something from what I've heard, but that's not the same thing, but I feel like they're just trying to use it as a reason of like, you're taking money away from us because but I just don't think that's true. Like, I think if Netflix was smart, they would have like, again, like you said, been more upfront from the beginning and also have seen that this is only benefiting them. Like the more hype there is around the musical, the more hype there is around all things Bridgerton in general. Like when I saw them performing, I wanted to go watch rewatch the series because I was reminded of it, right? Or go mm-hmm. to the experience because I was reminded of it. But I also understand that like, if I was someone who wrote the Bridgerton book and then all of a sudden someone's like making a boatload of money off of like interpretation of my work, I would potentially be upset, you know, if I wasn't getting any cut. Well, here's a stupefyingly obvious idea. Why not bring them into the fold? That's Why not make it official time. Bridgerton musical? Like these right. are really talented yes. creators who won a Grammy. Like yes. make them part of the experience. I Slap agree. your actual branding on it, and you can split the profits. But they I may know. not want to. Like you know, we're talking about that as though that's something that they're open to. They really not. may not be. Why I not just think though? It's stupid. I think it's. I think they won a Grammy. They beat Andrew Lloyd Webber. These aren't like these kids right, aren't amateurs. They may not want to. Barlow and Barrett. Barlow and Barrett may have no interest in it. You know, they could be like, "Hey, official, why we're doing just fine on our own?" Like they, they well, may not, not care in, for that. Well, now they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I and mean, by the way, for for those of you all who are like worried about this, I, there is no universe. And of course, now that I say this, I'm going to be wrong. There's no universe where this doesn't end in a settlement. And okay. most importantly, end in a settlement that that doesn't allow the unofficial okay. Bridgerton musical to exist in some capacity. And it will probably be making it, giving it some kind of official status within the Bridgerton cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, lawsuits like this don't make it to verdict, right? This is a, this is a saber-rattling technique meant to bring people to the table to work something out. The other thing that kind of crossed my mind when I had glanced at it was um, that part of their problem was the um, print media being used. Like some of the stuff had been approved for virtual stuff, but when you look at billboards, posters, programs, flyers, that kind of stuff, they may be getting into when Ryan mentioned that they plan on doing their own live shows. 
you don't want copyright on the other side. The Bridgerton musical sets a precedent that they've now created print material with logos and ads. And then when they try to go do theirs, be like, hey, look, I get you're really Bridgerton, but you stole our layout for the logo in a printed advertisement for something. So they may have to protect themselves from things, too. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. where in, in, in terms of like if we're looking at the th the wires that sort of got tripped by Barlow and Bear that caused the lawsuit to happen that's a big one is where they didn't just enter the realm of copyright infringement but they also got into trademark infringement right. where they start using the bridgerton branding on things where they start selling merchandise with the bridgerton logo on it. if you read the lawsuit that was filed it wasn't just alleging copyright infringement it was alleging trademark infringement and what and the thing about trademarks which is so much trickier is the law tends to not be very forgiving to folks who don't police their trademarks the, you know, if you don't actively police your trademarks, it can weaken your trademark and the, and the law will hold that against you. So once they start messing with that particular IP, they have a much stronger incentive to take those people to court. And yeah, trademarks are a much different beast. You don't want to mess with a person's brand. Yeah. And the biggest question I have is just like, why didn't Barlow and Bear take the license that was allegedly offered to them? Like, I think that's a really interesting piece of it too, because like you said, Lauren, maybe they don't want to be a part of the officialness, but it also feels like, well, are they just, are they not cooperating in like any way? That seems kind of silly and stupid. Like were they advised that they don't need it? Mm -hmm. I had, I don't know if we'll ever know that information <laughs> right. or at least anytime soon, but I find that fascinating too. Cause I'm like, if Netflix is saying they offered them a license and then everything would be just fine and dandy, but they refuse to take basically the permission right. slip. Uh, then yeah, it's, it's, it's on like them, some you know? respect to your, uh, you know, the people Netflix, who created the concept. Yeah, <laughs> Netflix yeah. does allege in the complaint that they attempted to offer the unofficial Bridgerton people a license to use the you know Bridgerton branding and the Bridgerton copyrights for this event. I think it's interesting that no terms of that licensing were actually made public or put into the complaint. <laughs> when I tend, and, and this is speculation on my part, I have no way of knowing this. I'm guessing that when, you know, with that kind of context, that the licensing offer wasn't a realistic offer. It was an like, I'm guessing it's the offer that you give them that they will absolutely refuse mm. so that you can sue them and say, hey, we made you an offer. But I don't think it was an offer that was in any way, you know, reasonable in terms of something that they would actually accept. It could have been like a very high royalty, for example. So they just, <laughs> so Barlow and Bear basically just said like, screw it, we're just going to take the risk and just do what happens if uh well i'm like I'm if we get sued we get sued <laughs> right the calculation they probably made was yep there'll be a lawsuit and then we'll all go to the table and you know it'll negotiate be more favorable for us right mm. you know and and maybe there will be some public groundswell among bridgerton fans or at least the unofficial bridgerton musical fans to try to coax netflix into you know, allowing yeah. this project to exist under reasonable terms. Which I do think they assumed or hoped would happen. Yeah. I feel like they probably had the assumption that everyone on the internet would be like, hey, what the heck? You got to let them have it. But what was interesting was I did see, feel like in the discourse, because there was that one line that was like, we extended the offer. 
I think a lot of people were like, well, dang, guys, why didn't you just accept the offer? It seems like Barlow and Bear like made the bad move here. And even a lot of people defending them, but still like not, it wasn't like a huge uproar of like, what the heck, Netflix, like you're the evil big guy. It seemed like there was a little bit of like both and like some understanding and just a lot of questions more than just like un, uh, un, unquestioned support. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Grammy gave them grounds too, though, because you keep saying like the big bad Netflix, like as opposed to a we'll take any deal, people told them, look, you've got a Grammy now. You're yeah. not some people who are trying to convince this show to help them market their thing. You're going, look, we're bringing just as much to the table as you are right now. And right or wrong, like there's probably a fight there that wouldn't have happened pre-Grammys. Yep. That's a that's an interesting point. True. All right. So this conversation was a cool one and it like totally burned through our first segment. I had this whole discussion on YouTube from a great story that Lauren uh, wanted to talk about. And I was ready to, I had all oh these gosh, thoughts and opinions, about that. but we don't have time. We have about Sorry. three minutes before we have to go to break. So here's what I want to do instead. Okay. Lauren proposed four stories for us to talk about this week. There was one like actual good one in terms of something that actually has to do with the industry. Wow, and we don't have time. And that was the YouTube one. We don't have time to discuss it. So what I want to do instead is I have three of Lauren's other stories that, um, and I want Lauren, I'm going to come 30 seconds each. Uh, Ready? Yeah. And, and you're, so you can either give me 30 <laughs> seconds on each or pick one and you can give me like a minute and a half on it. Okay. You wanted to either talk about the Royal family. Of course. The weekends haunted uh, the weekend artist the weekends haunted house at uh, Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando. After hours, mm. or you going to the Killers concert in oh, Miami last night. So <laughs> I mean, you have you concert. have about two minutes. Use the time how you will. Okay. Well, I always want to pay my respect to the Queen, who has been the only Queen that I have known in my lifetime, and is amazing and is an example that a i hope we all can follow and b i hope we get at least one more example of in our lifetimes at some point because we need that again and we miss it that being said musicians around the world are paying tribute and you know i know many americans have connections even though we're not british and there are people around the world who do and if you have connections like this is the time to express it and put it out there. It is trending on social media. It is out there all the time. People want that content because they're mourning too. This is a communal experience that everybody in the world is kind of sharing because we all shared in the Queen. So my two cents advice to the artists out there is um, to pay your respects, to do some research and to create some art that has historical content. And right now it's um, it's out there and it's popular. So do it for me because I want to listen to it. Um, uh, the Weekend House in Halloween Horror Nights is only interesting to me because I've never seen an album marketed that way. I know Ryan's like, how did you just jump contract? Look, I got 30 seconds for each. What a seamless transition. <laughs> Dead queen to Haunted House. All right. Uh, and the queen will hey, be there. This, is, this has been my September. Um, <laughs> so I went to Halloween Horror Nights in Universal Studios, for those of you who are not familiar with it. They turn the um, park into a 
horror-themed park at night with scare zones around and haunted houses in the big studios or in the back lots of lines or whatever, and it's a very intense thing. This year, The weekend teamed up with Horror Nights to do a dual part haunted house based on After Hours. The new album? Yes. And it was hands down my favorite haunted house, which is impressive because I'm mm-hmm. not a big haunted house fan. But the marketing ability for a musical album to use a haunted house i've never kind of seen this you kind of travel through his mind and get background as to what could have happened in the scene in the movie and like he's everywhere but the songs get stuck in your head and what i was mentioning to ryan beforehand is people who are stuck in an hour-long line listening to the same song with a catchy beat over and over and over again walk around the rest of the night humming your music and i've never seen anything where i was like man I've had the weekend's music stuck in my head for like a week because I was stuck in a line at Universal Studios and it was a good content. So weird thing to think about, but it had me thinking before Halloween how indie artists can use that that time to team up with something locally to get your music playing in a haunted house. I don't know. I like thinking outside the box, but I thought it was interesting for the musicians to use that tool, as it were. I'm so mad that of the three things that Lauren could talk about, the one I wanted her to talk about most was the Killers concert because I love that band, and that's the one we're not going to have time but for. But what do you say? Was it good? Right. They're what do you awesome. Say about it? You're like, like they, I listened to them. They were great. The music quality was phenomenal. The audio technicians oh, were great. The laser lights like yes. on, had to hit perfect areas so that they weren't hitting people because they were inside and they couldn't shoot over their heads. So like the lighting was focused so well, super cool effects and techniques, but like, I don't know. It was a great concert. That doesn't really help indie musicians figure anything out. Hey, indie musicians, if you've got a really great budget and some <laughs> phenomenal high-tech team, you yeah, can make some musicians. really cool you, stuff. You should make an album as good as Hot Fuss was. That's that's my advice to you. And so, then follow it up with Sam's Town. That'll work out really well. It might be wonderful, but if I had to pick the stories that were going to give some kind of advice to use... <laughs> I figured uh, I could oh, come man. up with better advice. And also, like, your royal family story was so sweet and poignant. Like, I didn't even I get a... Ch- like, I had no, like, place to make the joke about, like, how King Charles, like, made one of his underlings, like, clean off his desk by waving his arm. Like, <laughs> I wanted to see the funny in this, and you I went, did. like, all sad, so I couldn't. I did see the, yeah, yeah. the meme. Katie doing a great impression of it. <laughs> I did see the meme that said, 73-year-old man finally gets job. Yes. <laughs> Holding up like the kindergarten like chalkboard that was like, my name is Charles. When I grow up, I want to be king. Yeah. Oh, God. It was so funny. So those were very cute, too. Yes. Long live the king. Yeah. One other thing about that. I'm just going to say like, hold, is he 73? I think so. I don't want to do any work at 73. Like if so, like if, if I'm 73 years old and like somebody just comes to me and says, "Hey, we want you to be the king of England." I'd be like, "No, thanks." Like I've I made to this like like our our, our dad, Lauren, who just retired, is right. in his 70s, and I'm so jealous of his life right now. 
The man is like playing golf, watching football, hanging out with his friends. Like he's living the dream. He's got to be so much happier than the king of England. I'm sure if somebody told him he had to be the king tomorrow, he would be really disappointed about that. Like if I make it to 73, like I'm just going to say, let's put, let's just let, let's let William do this. He he is being smart about that though. Like, yes, he has title, but like, he's like, we're going to partner King. Like he's going to be by my side the whole time. And I was like, King brilliant. Right. Well, he, well, well, Charles said 73 years to train for the position. So yeah. <laughs> he was like, thank God I made it. Like he was like, I, I am not tapping out before I get to wear the crown. Like I'm not wait this it yeah, literally. Yeah. So, All right. We're going to do a break now because otherwise we're never going to yes, get to our because guest. Because th there so is excited. another king that I want us to be speaking with. Yes. Uh, acclaimed composer William Goldstein is going to be joining us right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Thank you for checking us out on all the places you check us out. There's way too many places for you to check us out. Major podcast platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, now LinkedIn Live uh, allows us, which is just weird to me. Um, you know, I, I feel like we need to fit in with LinkedIn. So let me just say this one real quick. And it turned out the homeless man was the guy doing my job interview. There we go. That's a little LinkedIn <laughs> content for everybody. Um, you can also check us out on Sirius XM 145. Much love to the folks at Slam Radio and much love to you, Katie Zaccardi. You're still hanging in there. Yes, I am still here. And I'm really glad because I that was a great joke, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> glad you liked that one. Uh, happy to hear it. 
Um, let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week. He's an acclaimed composer and music tech pioneer who is known for his instant compositions in which he spontaneously makes complex musical pieces without preparation. Our guest has also scored over 50 TV and film projects, including the Twilight Zone and the Fame TV series. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.williamgoldstein.com. We are happy to welcome William Goldstein on a Break the Business. Hello, sir. And I am happy to be with you. Both. Oh, oh, glad to hear it. I, I'm glad that the happiness is being shared. We had a good time, William, just chatting in the beginning of the segment about just how excited we are to talk to you, how amazed we are by just everything you've accomplished in your career and you know what you do as an artist. And we're pretty stoked for this instant compositions thing that you do. Um, do you actually have like a piano in front of you? Like, could we do that later in the interview? Is that like a thing we can do? Well, the piano is not in front of me. It's uh, I'm talking to you from my studio Ooh. where the first score ever recorded on a computer took place. The piano is in another room, which is why I'm on my iPhone, which travels very easily from one room to another. So when you're ready, we'll just move over to the piano. Oh, nice. So we're going to like see your house along the way here. That yeah, you will. I'll, I'll do the do the whole tour. Very cool. Excited to hear it. I'd like to begin at the beginning with you, William. I have read that you were a child prodigy, that you could play the piano by ear at the age of three. And and I've been told that for people like that, that you know have that sort of just quick understanding of something, it's hard for them to describe it in a way because they don't like they don't know anything different, right? Like the, the piano came naturally to you. You don't know what it's like to have it not come naturally to you, but can you describe like what it means to be three years old, four years old, and just like the piano, you look at it, you're like, yep, that makes sense. And you can just start playing. Is it really like that? It wasn't quite like that. I uh, describe myself these days as an ex-child prodigy because I'm <laughs> older now. But um, when I was three uh, or four, uh, it's... Uh, well, let me, let me start at the beginning of the beginning, which was I grew up in a non-musical family and there was no piano in the house. But fortunately, my folks were in the hotel business. And during the summers, we lived in the summer hotel in Belmar, New Jersey, where there was a piano in the ballroom. So little Billy was able to walk into the ballroom and, you know, put his hands up on the keyboard and start making sounds. And uh, that's how it started. So I only had access to a keyboard, you know, eight weeks a year. And then the rest of the year, maybe at a neighbor's house for two minutes. But by the time I was eight years old, I was really playing. Uh, I could go to the movies and come back and play themes and, uh, you know, and whatnot, which is why I think some of the sophisticated New Yorkers we had at the hotel asked my parents at one point, what are you doing with this kid? And they didn't really have a, a good answer. So I ended up when I was nine at uh, Columbia University Teachers College interviewed by the uh, head of the piano uh, department, uh, music department, Raymond Burroughs, who gave my mother all kinds of advice, which she never took. But I do want to go back to something you mentioned, Ryan, which is, yes, when it seems so natural, you don't really even know that it's special. And my analogy is really, we all speak. Nobody taught us to speak. 
we just started speaking and we started putting the words together in the right orders. And so it's rather analogous. I mean, but music, of course, is a much more complex language in that it's uh, many events happening simultaneously rather than human speech, which is one event at a time. So this, I, from my perspective, is just an extension of that uh, gift that we all have. And one of the ways that your gift presents itself is with this instant compositions thing that we talk about. You, we're, you're going to demonstrate later where you can just spontaneously create a musical piece without any preparation, and you just you're given three notes at random, and you can make a piece out of it. But and which is amazing, and, and you do this all over the world. But this isn't just kind of a party trick for you. It's kind of the way you score films, if I understand correctly. When you score a film, you often will just compose in real time, which I assume has some measure of improvisation involved. Uh, well, it's improvised composition. It's like looking at something and having an idea. Oh, that should be, or, or it's like driving a car down a road, describing what you're seeing, except I'm speaking the language of music. So, uh, yes, yeah, so very often, not only seeing something, sometimes I read a script for a movie, and the theme pops into the you know the musical theme is right there because I'm translating whatever I'm exposed to in one language, visual or literal, and I'm translating what I uh, feel in the, in the language of, uh, of music. And uh, let me throw out something else that's really fascinating to me. I thought everybody who had the gift of composition could create in real time. I didn't discover till 2011 that that was not the case. I thought everybody did this, which is why prior to 2011, I didn't do very much live performance. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't record a lot of these compositions. I didn't think anybody cared. And, uh, you know, and then later, the, my, my life changed at a festival in Poland in 2011 when uh, there was a competition, probably the first competition in over 150 years, in creating music in real time. And Jan Kashmerik, who won an Oscar for Finding Neverland, who organized the uh, festival, the Transatlantic Festival in Poznan, Poland, said to me, uh, we have to eliminate the three-note thing from the competition. And the three-note thing I started with just to demonstrate to somebody that actually when I sat at the piano and I said I just made up a piece, they actually they didn't usually believe me, but if I asked for three notes and use those three notes to be the start of the um, melodic content, then they then they bought into it. And later I found out that uh, Franz Liszt used to do this at at concerts. He'd have people write uh, uh, three notes on a piece of paper, put in a hat, and he'd pick something out. But in Poland, it changed my life because Jan said, "No, we have to eliminate the three note thing. It's too hard. Nobody can do it." <laughs> <laughs> About that, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a you're never too wild. old to learn, William. <laughs> I, I'm still just flabbergasted at the notion that you lived on this earth all the way until 2011, right? So, how smart before you, you found think out I've... that, like, you know, oh, I'm uh, you mean every composer doesn't just like compose instantaneously <laughs> in real time? Come on, well, I, I look uh, when I was busy doing one movie after another, I hired orchestrators to work with me and they would sit with me in this room and they'd watch me as I, you know, played against picture and would sometimes nail a scene in one take. 
And they were amazed, and I didn't think that much of it. I thought, well, they're just getting into the business. They'll learn. But, um, <laughs> yeah, truly, it was um, it was a, a revelation to me. I, I was really stunned and really pissed at the master of the universe for not cluing me in at a younger age. You know, I mean, uh, it's, it's amazing. Katie, I'm so amazed by this and, like, also kind of jealous. Like, when I think of... Yep. how hard it is for me to like play something on the piano and not have both of my hands play the same notes, but actually make the two hands do something different. <laughs> and, you know, our friend William here is just like, Oh, composing these like film scores completely on the fly. Just, you know, I'm, I've got what, what I would give for just like a, a, a infinitesimal amount of that kind of talent. I know William, I'm really curious if you ever, like, for instance, when you do the one take and you're like, well, that's it. Do you ever feel the need to, like, go back later and tweak things? Or do you just oh, yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. When, it, when Look, it's good? Look, if I'm doing three-note pieces for people, I record them. I'm going to record this one, and uh, we'll, we'll get it to you. Um, it'll be better than what you're going to get over my iPhone. But, okay. uh, uh, yes, when, when, when the piece is done, Look, a concert pianist spends six, eight hours a day practicing, marrying a finger to a note of a composition. My fingers never know where they're going. And so there are, you know, sometimes I'll hit two notes instead of one. And so, yes, I do a little bit of cleanup occasionally. Some pieces don't need anything. Some pieces, you know, uh, I'll... I'll, I'll uh, you know, get rid of that wrong note. And most of the time, people don't hear any of these wrong notes when I'm performing live. I only hear them when I listen back to the recording, you know, and then I, then I fix them before they're released. That is so. absolutely dazzling. I don't want people to wait anymore, okay? Here's, here's what I propose, William. Uh, if you could, can you, you make want, your way over to yes, the piano? It, yes, it's going to be heavy. I have to lift this really, this camera audio thing. It's called well, a, an iPhone. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's very advanced. I mean, it's like the whole world in your hand. Well, we just totally and, and, snoop around your house. Yeah, yeah. So here we have the uh, living room. We'll throw a little Whoa, some lights beautiful. on. Oh, nice and, piano. Uh, Look at that. Wow. Yeah, and, oh and this God. is this software I use to record on. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to disconnect because you're going to get better audio, I think, from the iPhone than the headset. So I'm just going to pull this and I'm going to place the phone where I think you will get. There you go. You can see a little of the keyboard. Yeah. Perfect. Right, so just uh, I'll ask you to give me uh, the proverbial Three notes, and let's get this over with so we can go back to conversation. <laughs> so, William, when in, in, before you showed up, uh, Katie and myself and our producer, Lauren, decided, and like, by the way, Lauren did not want to do this. She wanted to go easy on you. Katie and I, we no. want to try to wreck you. Okay, um, wait, it's okay. So like we like we we put a lot of thought into like what are like the three most difficult notes that we could put together and we think we got a challenge for you. Katie, do you want to give them the notes? Yes, but I just I feel like you're probably going to laugh at the fact that they're probably the easiest notes <laughs> and we just think that maybe well, they'll be difficult. <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, look, 
there there is a video on YouTube called the Three Note Challenge in Krakow, where I I was uh, head of the jury at an award show and the winner uh, got to pick three notes and he picked these three notes. Um, no, he did this. <laughs> and, and you can hear what I did to that on YouTube. But uh, oh. I mean, you, you can always come up with something. But, oh. you know, well, uh, you can always come up with something. <laughs> Wait, now, well, now to, be, to be clear, William, the three notes, they don't have to be in the same octave. We can like jump octaves. Well, it will sound better if they're in the same octave. Look, you know what I was saying? We didn't specify like, octaves. Look, wait. If, if you just want to do a silly challenge, that's fine. I'm, I'm game. Yeah. <laughs> you want to do a note here, a note there, and a note there? Sure, I'll make a piece. But if you want something that you can actually sing, do it within the range of the human voice. But whatever yeah. you want. I can either do beautiful or interesting. Or maybe it will be both. I don't know. Oh, all right. Let's let's stick to what we talked about before, Katie. Yeah. So okay. I think the notes we said were D. No, C. Oh, I have concussion brain. I don't remember. C. <laughs> C sharp. D sharp. Is there that right? Go. Yeah. Those yeah. three yeah. notes. Yeah. yeah, which sounds really nice when you play it. Yeah, that that actually sounds beautiful. I feel like he's gonna crush I didn't this. Think it was terrible. Uh, do you, do you want them in that order? Sure. Ooh. Uh. Okay. Oh. In any order you choose, I think. Well, no, no, no. We're going to go with yes. You're C, I'm C, D sharp, C sharp. Okay, Okay. ladies and gentlemen, these are the three notes that have been picked by our panel. And here we go. Let me just remember to put this in record. Yes, we're recording. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, William, the, the camera's not on a tripod. It was just stuck there. So, Mr. Uh, Goldstein, that was amazing. That was amazing. Let me just save this so uh, I yes, can, uh, so make a decent recording. I'll send it to you guys. That sounds like what should have been playing when my 
son was born. Oh, yeah. <gasps> can we make the two month video edited to that? I think we can. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can, have my can, can we title that Nathan's song after my after my uh, son that was born two months ago? Oh my gosh. All right, Ryan Nathan's song. And oh. literally I'll fix, I'll fix up the little pause where the camera slipped. And <laughs> Mr. Attorney, he did just say that you could use it. He said so I heard. Yeah, him. yes, I did. I gave you oh. verbal permission, which does not necessarily constitute legal. <laughs> We that, we very that's... we very much appreciate that. That I mean, that's one of the coolest things I think any of us have ever seen. That was very very special. We so appreciate you sharing you. with us. I sorry for using this term, but it, you just like vomit brilliance. Like it's just not even fair that you can just be like, what this? Bleh. Like it just it comes thinking like, oh, this is gonna be. Oh yeah, we got him. And then in, within seconds, we're like, oh. My God! <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing. They were like, "We're gonna stump him." I was like, "Why? I want to hear brilliance. Like this is about to be amazing." <laughs> Do you um, want me to stay at the piano, or shall I move back? Uh... Um, yeah, stick stick around right there. Well, um, okay. if you ask me if you want to be by a piano, my answer is yeah. always going to be right. yes. Like, <laughs> the more that you're by a piano, the better the world is. Yes. All right. So, uh, are are you okay without the headphones? Or is it yeah, better? you sound you sound great. Okay. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting williamgoldstein.com. Our guest is acclaimed composer and music tech pioneer, William Goldstein. Um, this has been such a treat. Um, I want to ask you this question because I want to make sure we have time for it before we lose radio. Do you have any tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I would love for them to be able to benefit from your experience. Well, these days, I think it's pretty easy. You know, you just do what you want. You put it on YouTube and sign up for one of the digital aggregators that'll put you on Spotify. Anybody can do it, you know, and then the rest is just uh, luck, I guess, or talent. Or, or there's, there's certainly a bit of luck, no matter how much talent you have, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, my life has been really strangely lucky. I mean, I, I was discovered by Barry Gordy in the 70s and a Motown artist. And if you didn't know that, I'm actually appearing at a Motown celebration concert October 1st here in Los Angeles. Um, so that's that's an interesting sidebar in my career. These days I'm a classical crossover artist. But Brian, as you know, this is one of those um, professions where there are no rules. And I'm always mentoring a lot of young people in their late teens, early 20s, who want to be stars. And, uh, you know, uh, the good news is that there are millions of channels of distribution. The bad news is there are m many more millions trying to use those, those channels. When I started out, you needed to be on a label uh, if you were going to be a, an artist uh, to get heard, to get played on radio so and, and and here's another irony too i pioneered the technology that every composer uses these days to create music uh, back in 1985 basically was the pivotal year Ooh, that phone doesn't want to stay <laughs> oh we lost him no oh come on that's not fair oh cruel internet 
Uh, right when he was in the midst of giving us amazing advice. But of course, that's how it had to be, right? He had to lay that beautiful song into our life, impart an amazing piece of advice, and then just fade off into the sunset with his internet connection. Oh my God, my heart will not stop beating. That was incredible. Again, find out more by visiting williamgoldstein.com. I hope we can have him on again soon because, yeah, there's like a thousand things about his career that we didn't even get to, including him being the only white guy basically signed to Motown in the 70s and like meeting yeah. Barry Gordy. And that's he's done. He's doing some amazing stuff uh, to raise money for Ukraine and the soldiers over there. So many things uh, like I know, Lauren, you're a big fan of fame. You probably wanted to talk to him about fame for a while. Oh, wait, we have him back. Oh, wait. Hey, William, are you there? <laughs> oh, we don't have sound. We have him, but no sound. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay. So, uh, so we, do, we don't have sound for our friend, Mr. Goldstein, but if he can hear us, um, please know, William, we would love to have you on again on the program anytime. There are about a thousand more things in your career that I want to talk to you about. So our thanks to you for being on the show. Thanks to you, Katie, producer Lauren, and thanks to all of you for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week. Hello.